this week on the Off the Crossbar podcast. We'll break down week one of the 34th National Lacrosse League season and get you ready for week two. Buffalo Bandits will take on the San Diego Seals. We'll speak with Josh Byrne as he gets set for his first game. Plus the head honcho of the NLL Flash, Tyson Gunn. All that more on OTCB. I am an What is good, lacrosse fans? Welcome to another edition of the Off the Crossbar podcast here on SoundCloud, NLL Radio, and the Lacrosse Flash, and of course, from the fine folks at Spotify. My name is Teddy Jenner. You can find me on Twitter at Off the Crossbar, or you can email me, teddy.jenner at gmail.com. How did you like the opening weekend? If you were a betting man, you didn't get a lot of the overs as all three games were fairly defensive and offensive, if you take a look at that Georgia-Rochester game, uh, offensive in the fact that they were scoring lots of goals from a Georgia perspective and offensive from a Rochester team perspective. The Nighthawks just did not look ready for what the Georgia Swarm had for them, but first game as a complete team, And I'm sure there'll be some learning curves along the way for this group. Not exactly the way they hope to start Nighthawks 2.0, but they have 17 games to kind of right the ship and make up for what was a pretty disappointing first game of the season. As mentioned off the top of the show, we'll hear from Josh Byrne from the Buffalo Bandits. Uh, We'll talk about Dane's world. We'll talk about JT as his coach. Maybe are we going to see him back out west for some time in the WLA one summer? And we'll also hear from Tyson Geik, the chief big team guy of the lacrosse flash. And as a contributor to the flash, it's always nice to speak to those who give my work a place to live and thrive. But more importantly, Tyson is giving the National Lacrosse League and its players a place to thrive. And from everything to merch, podcasts, articles, a little bit of everything, the Lacrosse Flash is starting to carve its niche in the lacrosse world. And we want to get Tyson on just to talk about some of the things they have in the works, some of the things that haven't been working, like, say, putting people's faces on t-shirts. But we'll talk about all that and get things going. But let's start with week one in the National Lacrosse League. And it was a Friday night kickoff for the 34th annual National Lacrosse League season in Denver, Colorado, a rematch of the West semifinal from last year. And we got another fantastic game between the Rush and the Mammoth. No surprise there. I think they've played about 75% of their games have been decided by three goals or less. That is a sure sign to take the under anytime these two teams play. And if we ever get into the betting world, which Tyson Geik and others think we will, there's already some betting. The over for that game was something ridiculous. High 20s, I think. It didn't stand a chance. 
9-8 was your final. And while Saskatchewan was able to score with their first shot of the game a minute in from Bobby Church, it took the Mammoth a little while to get their feet under them. They ended up being down 2-0. But they got themselves back in the game. And then the two teams started to trade goals. And you could tell that it was the first game of the season because at times teams were a little sloppy. And they looked a little bit out of sync. But for the most part, I think Saskatchewan's nearly in mid-form. Because their power play was nearly perfect. I think they went four for five or three for four. Their short man only gave up one. Their transition game probably still needs a little bit of work, but their reverse transition game was phenomenal. They put Colorado in so many bad positions coming up the floor that I know it was giving Pat Coyle fits because it was something that the team had stressed about earlier in the day at shoot-around and even the night before at practice that they want to make sure that they're getting across center into good positions and not getting trapped in no-man's land. And that no-man's land is three or four feet across the center line when you just, as a defender, get across center with the ball and then stop. Because you're getting two and three defenders coming off the opposition's bench and their sole focus is to deny you a pass and strip you of that ball. And as that game went along, Colorado continued to have troubles getting across center. And one of the biggest factors in that was the return of Ryan Dilks. Because Dilks plays the rover role better than most in the National Lacrosse League. And the rover role is usually the second or third guy that's going to come out of the back end gate. And his sole purpose is to chase down the ball. It doesn't even really matter if someone's already picked that guy up across center. Ryan Dilks or whoever is the rover will come out through the back gate, go high through center floor and funnel down towards the ball and double. If you can get that ball deep, it makes it harder for that double to come. But if you stop at center with the ball, the double is pretty easy. And forcing turnovers and causing turnovers is pretty easy. And if you go back and watch that game, watch how many times the Mammoth were dispossessed of the ball within a five-feet barrier on either side of center. It was crazy. And... A lot of it maybe is inexperience of some of those back-end guys. But really, Warren Jeffrey was the only guy playing in his first game, so that shouldn't be an excuse. Altitude and tiredness may have affected some people, but truly shouldn't be an excuse. Now, in saying that, many of the Saskatchewan Rush players were hitting the oxygen boost cans pretty hard. And if you don't know what one of those are, it's essentially a CO2 canister with oxygen in it. I know that's a oxymoron or in conflicting words, but essentially it's a canister with air in it that you put to your mouth and you breathe in, you get clean, fresh air and oxygen. 
And a lot of guys were heavy on the boosts on that rush bench. I talked to Ryan McLean after the game, the rookie who was making his first appearance for the rush in his first game in Denver. And he said it was one of the most uncomfortable. It was one of the, it was a very uncomfortable feeling for him because he thought he'd be able to handle it being from Calgary and living in Calgary at times. But this was a completely different story. And for all you rookies out there, here's a PSA. Get to the gym. Just because you think you're in shape doesn't mean you're in shape. And going for a jog with your stick around the block isn't getting yourself in shape. Especially when you have to play in Denver or you're going in to play against Denver. That altitude is no joke if you've never experienced it before. So while Colorado did an excellent job clawing their way back, it was a five-minute spurt in the third quarter where Saskatchewan outshot Colorado 7-2, and they were able to stretch their lead to three in a lead that Colorado was unable to claw back to. It was a heck of a game. Evan Kirk and Dylan Ward put on a clinic. Both made incredible, massive OMG saves during that game. Wards was probably the more phenomenal save, but the save by Evan Kirk in the fourth quarter on Kyle Killen, who was left wide open, was probably the bigger and more important save because it was a game saver. But that was the way we started. And it was a fantastic game right out of the gate. And then we got Calgary-Vancouver. And it wasn't the cleanest of games. It wasn't really the closest of games, even though it was a five-goal score by the time it was over. But Calgary had complete control of this one as they were out to a 4 nothing lead before the Rogers faithful could even blink. And again, another lead that the home team couldn't come back from. Vancouver one for eight on the power play. That's not going to win you many games. However, Vancouver outshot Calgary 70 to 49 and they out loose balled them 97 to 73. Now I haven't gone back and watched the full game thoroughly. I just kind of skimmed through it to get to a few important bits, but I'm not sure the last time a team had nearly 100 loose balls. Mitch Jones had 14 and Keegan Ball had 12. That's ridiculous. Zach Courier had 11. Okay, I get that. That's Zach Courier. He's on the ball team. He's defensive loose ball wizard. But for Mitch Jones and Keegan Ball to have 14 and 12 respectively... Either guys are padding their stats by dropping the ball and picking it back up themselves. Or those guys are working their tails off out that front door. The only person that didn't have a loose ball for the Vancouver Warriors was the only guy that didn't see a minute of floor time, and that was Aaron Bolt. 97 loose balls. That is ridiculous. 
But if you take away that first quarter where Calgary had a three-goal lead, they only lose that game 7-5. If you lose out that first quarter. So they were shell-shocked right out of the gate. Maybe it was the biz nastiness. Maybe it was, I don't know, a little too much excitement, too much energy out that locker room door. But Vancouver wasn't ready. But once they got kicked in the mouth, they were able to set them, settle themselves down and make the game respectable. But when you're down three after the first quarter, you're not doing yourselves a whole lot of service. But the big talking point of this game happened midway-ish through that fourth quarter. And it started with Tyler Burton off a face-off, found a loose ball, and tried to move it while losing his footing. He makes the pass, but Nick Bielich is coming in with a full head of steam, and they collide. And it is... Billich's knee colliding with Burton's body. And unfortunately, Nick took the worst of it. And we don't have, not that I've seen any finite results on what happened to Nick. It didn't sound good. It didn't look good. And I hope he does have a speedy recovery if it's as bad as it seemed. It took a bit of a turn because post-game, there were some people who felt that it was quote-unquote intentional and quote-unquote a dirty move by Tyler Burton. Feeling that Burton saw Bielich and intentionally went at his legs and submarined him. Nick Bielich had the same thoughts when he took to Twitter. And I can understand in the heat of the moment, people think like that and they feel that something like that may have happened. But if you truly watch and if you talk to Tyler Burton, there is no way that that is an intentional move. I truly feel bad for Nick because as a guy who's lost time to his lacrosse career via knee injury, it's not fun. Even more so, it was Nick's first game with his first team in his hometown. He was expecting to have an incredible year for the Warriors. And now most likely his season's done. So I can get there was some fired upness after that moment. But Tyler Burton then went to social media and expressed his concern for Nick. Gave his side of the story. Said that it was not an intentional, nor was he ever even considering to do that. He says that he never even saw Nick. He was just trying to make the play. It was an unfortunate accident and event that had a drastic result and ending. But I do not believe that there was any sort of intentional malice on his part. Him being Tyler Burton. But then as that game went on, we get a little more fun stuff. And eventually, it turns into a fight between Logan Schuss and Zach Courier, which was a beauty of a tilt. 
That stemmed from a Chris O'Doherty match penalty. Most likely he'll see a game or two of suspension. And remember when a couple weeks ago I said I'll be interesting to see if teams amp their intensity up for the Alterna Cup? Well, maybe it was just the first game. Maybe it's just because it's Calgary and Vancouver and there is a lot of bad blood between these teams and a lot of the players who know each other. Or maybe it was the fact that it was game one of the Alterna Cup. Whatever it was, it was intense in that fourth quarter. I can't wait for the next time these two teams play. It's always an incredible matchup when they do. But as that game kind of started to get a little out of hand, it started to turn a little ugly, and things started to boil over. But sometimes you need to let that happen. And those that are longtime listeners of this show know that I am a fan of letting the boys police themselves. And when the O'Doherty incident happened, the Roughnecks came to their players' defense. Zach Courier got into it with Logan Schuss. They settled things like men. They moved on. It's done. I thought it was very well handled by all the players. They did what they needed to do. It didn't boil over into anything stupid. They handled it, and they moved on. And for the Roughnecks, they come away with an important 12-7 win to kick off the season in their defense of the title. For the Warriors, a tough first quarter, but a lot to learn from. And a lot to put in the memory banks for later. The third game of the National Lacrosse League's opening weekend was... A bit of a sleeper. 14-4 your final, Georgia over Rochester. There was one person out there in the World Wide Web that had a really strong feeling that Rochester's offense was going to get it done against Georgia and that the Nighthawks weren't going to win. I won't say that person's name, but if his thought process is anything like he's going to be running a lacrosse team, might be interesting to see how he does. Moving on. Um, Georgia had complete control of that game. There was really no hope for Rochester as that game went on. I think myself, like many, were surprised that Craig Wendy got the start in favor uh, of Steve Fryer. And Wendy got lit up early. Uh, It was 3-0 six minutes into the game. It was 4-1 by the time the first quarter ended. It was 10-1 by the time it was halftime. And I thought to myself, okay, Mike Kazin is going to let Craig Wendy ride out this first half, give him some experience. Then he's going to put Steve Fryer in and see how deep reacts. But he didn't. He kept Wendy in the game. And maybe deep was sick and wasn't 100%. I don't know if that was the case. They probably would have brought in Ryland Hartley if deep couldn't go. But the fact that not even once, not even for a quick 30-second goalie switch, just to calm the young kid down, that never happened. And it was rather surprising for Mike Hazen to keep Craig Wendy in. Now, we had him on the show last week, and we talked about having that three-goaltender system and how they would let it play out. So maybe... 
over the first few games, they give everybody a start to see what happens. And Craig Wendy did settle down as that game went on in the second half. But still, in the opening 30 minutes, he was peppered with shots from every angle and his former Swarm teammates really exposed him. Which I thought was another reason to ride Stephen Fryer for that game because a lot of the Swarm players had shot on Craig Wendy in the past when he was their third goaltender. As for the Rochester offense, they didn't have a lot of spunk or fire or really even chemistry. Again, I know it was their first time out as a real team playing in a real game. But you should still be able to do better than two for eight on a man advantage. Just on talent alone, you should be able to move the ball and get a goal more than twice on eight opportunities. Give a lot of credit to Mike Poulin. Give a lot of credit to the Swarm defense. But you got to find a way to score when, you get, when you're five on four or five on three even. When you're missing opportunities like that, especially as a brand new team and a young team, those will come bite to haunt you. And unfortunately for Rochester, too many mistakes cost them down the road. And Georgia cruised to a 14-4 victory. And that is how week one went. Week two in the National Lacrosse League once again has three teams playing. And all three games are on Saturday and all three games start an hour apart. New York at Halifax, the debut of the Riptide and the Thunderbirds. Lacrosse finally in Halifax. New York at, sorry, New England at Toronto what used to be a really important Eastern Division matchup now becomes a interdivisional matchup. And then San Diego at Buffalo will end the weekend, and I would have put this down as my game of the week had there not been so many injuries on both clubs. It's not easy to see a team like the Seals missing guys like Casey Jackson and Austin Stotts. More so, not easy for a team like Buffalo to be losing guys like O'Connor, Hogarth, and Chase Fraser. I still think that's going to be a heck of a lacrosse game. Unfortunately, I don't think it's going to be as intense as it could have been. But remember, the last time these two teams faced, it was the last game of the regular season, and the Bandits absolutely lambasted the Seals in their final home game of the regular season. So maybe a little bit of bad blood as this game goes on, but I think it'll be a... Fast-paced, high-tempo game. Buffalo and San Diego both love to run the ball. Uh, and I, I think that is going to be a heck of a lacrosse game. I got Halifax, Toronto, and the Bandits winning those three games. Only Philadelphia will have not played a game by the time this weekend is over. They will be the 13th and final team to get their season started. And that will be in two weeks on the 14th when they go to the Infinite Energy Center in Gwinnett to take on the Swarm. Speaking of the Buffalo Bandits, Josh Byrne has found himself the co-star to Dane Smith in the recent vignettes of Dane's World. Does he even know where that skit comes from? We'll ask him. But first, 
I gotta know, is it even close to being warm in upstate New York? Yeah, it's uh, it's definitely not warm out here. It's a little bit cold. I think we had um, some ice rain the other day, so that was always fun. But the Bills are starting to heat up. Yeah, the Bills are doing well. Um, they're uh, starting to demand a little bit of respect, so uh, the city's buzzing right now. Have you become a, a transplanted Bills fan since living out there? Yeah, uh, I haven't really had a choice, um, to be <laughs> honest with you. It's like, you're either a Bills fan or you're going to get beat up, so... Yeah, I've been a Bills fan for a couple months now. It's been good. That's probably a safe bet because you don't need Dane on your bad side, do you? Exactly, exactly. That's not our fun. Whose idea was Dane's World? Ooh, that Dane's World came... Um, honestly, I really don't know. I think it came from somebody deep into the um, the marketing people with, with the savers, they, they had a good idea and wanted us to kind of get after a little bit. And we did it a little bit last year and um, it kind of caught on and they wanted to actually put a bunch of episodes together this year. And uh, it's, it's honestly, it's been a lot of fun to make. Um, but uh, yeah, as, as you can see, those, uh, those episodes have been pretty good. <laughs> now you're on the, the younger side. Did you ever see the original Wayne's World? Were you aware of it? No. So before, or once we started making the episodes, we're like, they're like, oh, you've never seen this part? And like, when they do this, I'm like, no, you're going to have to show me a video of it. <laughs> I'm not, I'm not from that era. So what was, so after you saw what it was about, did you kind of change your Garth impression? Uh, yeah, it's funny. If you watch, you can kind of see me like kind of going back and forth between like how like, stupid I play or whatnot. Sometimes I even just forget about it. Um, but on, to be honest with you, I feel bad for the camera crew because neither one of us were um, even close to one take wonders. So they were they were, sitting, they were standing there for a little while. Are, are we going to get a chance to see an outtake blooper reel soon? I really hope so because there's a couple times where it was pretty funny. Awesome, man. It's been awesome watching them every week. You and Dane do a great job. And, and I know Dane doesn't shy away from the camera at all. Yeah. <laughs> You'd be surprised, actually. <laughs> he gets pretty camera shy sometimes. That, that is true. He, for for as, as, as brash as he is on the floor, he does have a bit of a shyness. Yeah, yeah, exactly. He's, uh, he's obviously a very, very confident guy on the floor, but um, definitely very reserved and uh, just, just an overall good guy. I'll give him a plug there. That's a good plug for your good buddy. Uh, game one is this week of the season for you guys. San Diego Seals comes to town. Uh, you faced them once last year. It was right at the end of the year. How excited are you and the fellows to finally get this brand new season going? Yeah, you know, uh, it's 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 been a long time, and um, the way we ended things last year was tough. And I I think it's going to be nice to finally get back and play somebody else. You know, um, they made some roster changes, uh, especially with Berg and Noble and some of those guys. So um, we're going to have to be ready for those for those guys, and it's going to be a good matchup. How much has the loss last year to Calgary sat with you over the offseason? It hurts. Um, yeah. to, to, to this day, it stinks, right? Like, uh, coming in and all that, there's all this hype about it. And I think, uh, to be honest with you, we were a little too confident. Um, and Calgary was an unreal team. And back with an unreal um, offense, that's, I, I clearly you saw Dobie and Dixon just were lightened up. And, and their defense is extremely underrated, I feel like. Um, they have just absolute horses back there, and Del Bianco is basically lights out. So, um, 
we definitely underestimated them, but uh, this year it's a good chance to kind of start over. What's been the message from head coach John Tavares and GM Steve Dietrich throughout this camp for you guys to focus on? Uh, just trying to get everything back uh, to where we were last year. We uh, we lost a few pieces um, with O'Connor going down, Hogarth going down. Um, Fraser's out for a little while now as well. And um, obviously we lose Sean Evans as well to the expansion draft. So um, we're kind of trying to put together all the right pieces right now. Um, but the good thing is, um, for the most part, uh, our core is the same and our mentality is still the same. So we're really uh, just trying to keep that same almost happy-go-lucky feeling and then um, trying to have fun playing. You guys have uh, that happy-go-lucky feeling was kind of where I was going to go with my next question. You have a lot of characters on your team with, with McKay and Cuche and Priolo and Maddie Vince and even Dane and yourself, Corey Small. There's a lot of characters. It's got to be a lot of fun in that room. Yeah, to be honest with you, it's, it's a ton of fun. Um, everybody gets along extremely well. Um, there's different levels of, of characters. You got some few older guys mixed in with a bunch of younger guys, and you can really tell uh, the, the leadership from, from the older guys and um, their demeanor with everything that they do. It's, uh, it definitely makes for a really cool mix. Is there going to be um, disco parties after every win again? I don't know yet. Uh, we're trying to kind of put together some type of win song. Um, I don't know if it's going to be video appropriate, but <laughs> we'll, uh, we'll definitely have to find that out. We'll see. As, as you guys have gone through the season, you're entering your third NLL season. Last year, you had to miss part of the year due to an injury. What did, what did you learn about yourself as a player, um, as a guy sitting on the sidelines when you had to watch? Uh, I mean, obviously, anytime you have to sit out and watch, it, it's frustrating, and um, it it plays a big. Uh, it, it's tough mentally, right? So, like, mm-hmm. trying to trying to get through those battles and and whatnot, and then coming back to a team where they were rolling and trying to step on any toes and trying to mess anything up while still con- contributing was uh, kind of tough. But at the same time, it it really taught me a lot about staying healthy and what I have to do to stay healthy. So, like, my diet's changed a ton. Um, working out, stretching has been a big part, um, making sure that I'm getting the right treatment throughout, throughout the week, all those little things that I probably was, um, I don't want to say young, but I wasn't really used to doing, um, I now do, and, and I feel a lot better as, as it is. So it's definitely kind of, as much as it sucks, it's definitely helped me for the long run. I definitely think that's a lesson young lacrosse players learn in the first couple years of the NLL is that you may have a, a, a regiment in college that kind of got you through those four years of being in the gym because you had to be there. But now when there's nobody telling you to be in the gym as a pro, you have to take it upon yourself. So how have you made that switch to becoming sort of a quote unquote gym guy away from us? hundred um, percent. I think obviously being roommates with Dane, it, it helps a lot as well. Um, he takes tremendous care of his body and, um, and he's always, in the gym and working out and, and whatnot. We're, we're pretty lucky over here in Buffalo. We have a trainer kind of full-time. So even in the off-season, we get to go in and work with him and, and whatnot. But um, obviously, we really we really focus on um, stretching uh, and conditioning and, and and a lot of core work as well because most of your power and everything comes through your core. Um, so it's, it's, it's been a kind of a, a battle to kind of figure everything out. But uh, we kind of got down to a science now, so it's feeling pretty good. We talked about JT being your head coach. How has he matured over the, the years that you've been there 
to now being the number one guy behind the bench? Yeah, he's a great coach. Um, he's very creative. Um, and you can tell he isn't afraid to take risks and try new things. Um, he has a couple of things up his sleeve this year that I'm pretty excited for. I can't can't tell you too much about that. But, um, yeah, just, just watch and learn, and it's, it's going to be a fun year. So we can expect some hidden ball tricks? Maybe some hidden ball tricks. Maybe, yeah, I'm not going to give too much, too much away here. But, uh, yeah, we'll see. It's going to be, it's going to be interesting. Uh, you always have had a bit of a swagger to you. Where does that come from? Is that just going to school in Long Island? Is that just the natural Josh Byrne kind of way to be? Um, well, I'd, I'd like to say it's, uh, it's from my mom. My mom, uh, my mom's from Trinidad and Tobago. Uh, it's like, like the South, South Caribbean. So, um, I've kind of just always had that a little bit of a swagger to, to me. And, um, it's kind of something that like you grow up and you try to almost hide it because, uh, if you're too, if you're too much, then guys don't really like you too much on the floor. But, um, I've, I've kind of just started to not really care about it too much and just kind of be myself and let everything flow. Have you been to TNT to visit your mom's family? No, the my, the only time that my family actually went, I was in uh I was in college my freshman year. They went for a month and right. got to enjoy the culture and really kind of live their lifestyle. So I wish I could have I could have gone there, but it's definitely on a definitely a bucket list thing. I got to get down there for sure. So Gaines World go on the road to TNT. Yeah, I I would watch out for that because that would be crazy. <laughs> <laughs> Um, one last thing before we go, uh, you, you were a newest kid growing up. Um, you kind of got to watch a ton of great lacrosse in one of the most historic rinks in, in all of the sport. What do you remember about those years growing up in the Salmon Bellies? Oh, uh, I'd say my, my biggest memory um, from there was, I can't believe, I can't remember if it was 2007 or 2008, but I remember it was, uh, it was Brandon and New West and the Man Cup. Oh, 2009. 2009 that's what it was yeah and I remember just sitting up in the stands and watching uh I think it was Colin Doyle just got absolutely suckered by somebody and the bench is cleared and I've never ever seen anything more crazy than that and, and when it comes down to it there's uh comes down to this one play where he got about 20 something seconds to kind of win, win a man cup and shit hits the fan and it's it, it was crazy um obviously New West is a very historic place and thank god I was born there are we ever gonna see you back out west? I don't know. Um, I'm sure. I'm sure one day. Uh, maybe when I get a bit older. Right now, I've, I've kind of got a good thing going here in Buffalo, uh, especially during the summer, uh, playing in the PLL. Right, it's a good hub for kind of yeah. where most of the games are located. It doesn't really make sense to me to go back. So my first year, I was trying to go back and play for Burnaby and. It was uh, it was really tough on my body. I ended up actually injuring my groin from like flying from Buffalo to Vancouver, back to Denver, back to Vancouver, and mm-hmm. then somewhere else. And it was just it was too tough on the body. Um, so maybe one day once I'm once I get a bit older. But for now, Buffalo is where I'm gonna stay. Saturday, December seventh, the home opener at KeyBank, Bandits and Seals. What can we expect from your club? I think we're gonna bring a lot of energy. Um, it's been a tough training camp so far, and you know what? There's there's been a, there's been some tempers flying. Um, so I, I I think you're gonna see a team that's real excited to kind of get after somebody else, and I think yeah, uh, yeah, I, I, it's gonna be a lot of energy coming through the that Bandit faithful. Um, Bandit land's always rocking, and I'm sure it's gonna produce the same for the home opener.
there's Josh Byrne of the Buffalo Bandits, and he's right. Bandit land will be rocking Saturday night. It always is rocking. And when you get a team like San Diego coming to town with a lot of Ontario guys on that roster, should be one heck of a crowd in Buffalo Saturday night, 7 p.m. Eastern is the face-off. I still kind of find it kind of funny that he had no idea where the Wayne's World skit came from. But also love the fact that after watching a few, he did change his Garth impression a little bit. But what he and Dane are doing, quite hilarious. If you haven't seen him, go check him out on the Bandit social feeds. Uh, they usually put out one every few days or once a week. Some really good stuff. And just another example of teams getting away from the stereotypical social media stuff. Doing things different, changing it up, having a sense of flair and a sense of fun, and just creating a place for fans to come and learn more about your players. That's exactly what the Lacrosse Flash and Tyson Geick are trying to do. Trying to create a platform that will allow players to not only expand their brand, but show fans that they're more than just a mean smile behind a cage. There's always talk about the personalities of these players and how they're blue-collar guys just like everybody else. They bring their lunch pail, they go to work, they got money to Friday jobs, all that stuff. But it's not too often that we've really seen players step out of their comfort zone and do things a little more elaborate. Let themselves be vulnerable. Let themselves be honest and open. And that's not easy to do. It's not easy for anybody to sit in front of a camera and be interviewed or talk for 15, 20 minutes on the phone with some weird guy from Victoria. It's, it's not always comfortable for everybody. And even if you are a longtime listener of this show, you've been able to tell the difference. Some people are comfortable with the media and others aren't. Some people will give you long, elaborate, drawn-out answers. Other people are very closed and reserved and aren't very talkative. That's just the nature of human. So to open up the Pandora's box into the world of these players, as easy as some think, it's truly not. So what the lacrosse flash would like to do is open that door a little wider, allow the players to relax and have a little more fun. And I think it's starting to find its groove. And Tyson Geick, the reigning, defending, undisputed Tom Borelli Award winner, gave us some time to sit back and chat about what the goal of the Flash is, how they hope to avoid some controversies, and bring the players and their personalities to the fans. 
I just wanted to do, and I've said this time and time again, something that hadn't been done before. And I thought that the game of lacrosse, and maybe not so much in field, but with professional indoor lacrosse, box lacrosse, it lacked a little bit of personality. And we just hadn't yet given players a platform to showcase their personalities and showed that it was okay for them to kind of like let those loose. So we wanted to do that first and foremost. I think that was uh, the focus when I got the project started. And I wanted to give analysts from across the National Lacrosse League and different markets a platform to speak as well, because I thought they were kind of being silenced. They had, you know, their Twitter accounts to share facts and stats with others and get followed. But the lacrosse flash and the NLL flash last season gave them a chance to have a little bit of screen time and to uh, have the the public kind of get acquainted with them and fans acquainted with them. Uh, One of the things that I've noticed in working with the lacrosse flash and a, a challenge that we still kind of face is that the everyday fan and the casual fans of the game, they're not craving lacrosse analysis yet. And that is an appetite that we have to create. Um, we have to get people involved wondering what's going on with injuries or line combinations or, you know, these own strategies, whatever it may be, we have to make fans want that content. So they're not just watching on a weekend during a game, they're watching throughout the week finding out what's happening with their favorite team, wanting more and more information. And I think one of the things that is going to drive viewership into analysis videos and, you know, uh, content from reporters, maybe like betting on the cross. Um, Once people are able to start kind of making money off this game and there's a reason for them to follow along, you might see more viewership come in videos like analysis and reporting videos. And you're going to see that hunger and appetite for more content. And I think that even more so will fuel attendance and put butts in the seats across the National Lacrosse League. So it's, it's funny if you sit back and you look at it, there is a big formula and there is a big picture and there's a lot of things that need to be considered. Um, but these are just a few things that I've considered and that I would like to try to help out with, with the lacrosse flash. Now, we do have challenges as myself and those involved with the lacrosse flash are stationed kind of across the country at the moment. Uh, we're not making money from it at the moment. Uh, so that makes it tough when we've all got full-time jobs and side gigs that we need to juggle and then, you know, put our time and passion and effort into a project like the lacrosse flash and uh, pumping professional content out there. Like I don't want to put my name on crap and, Neither do any of those who are involved in this project. And, and that's why I'm proud to, to call them teammates of mine. And I'm happy to have them on board. But um, we do have a, a series of challenges that we do face. But I will say I've been really impressed with the teamwork that has uh, come from the lacrosse boss, what I've seen. And it's really built friendships uh, that weren't there prior to this project uh, existing. So I, I think it's been pretty cool. Yeah, the bromance between you and Pat Gregoire has blossomed mightily. uh, You were strategic in your terminology there, blossomed, right? (laughs) Absolutely, absolutely. Uh, How hard (laughs) has it been to um, find players that are willing to open up? Because like you said, it it hasn't been really an outlet for lacrosse players, and we are, as lacrosse players, kind of closed off at times. How, How have you found finding players willing to open up? Yeah, that is one of the biggest challenges that 
um, you do face when you're speaking to a player one-on-one, or maybe you're looking to have them on a podcast. We may not have the ability to do something exactly like spit and chicklets because let's face it, the players in the national lacrosse leagues aren't making those millions of dollars like players in the NHL are. They can't openly speak about their stories from the road and, um, get into things a little bit deeper because they do have jobs, maybe they're teachers or firefighters or police officers or whatever it may be working on Bay Street in Toronto. Um, so it is tougher to kind of open them up. But what you do have to build is that kind of camaraderie with them and break them down a little bit and talk to them on a friend level. And the only way you're going to be able to do that is with trust, really. Um, you know, you're not going to put in a, a position – a player in a bad position, um, they have to trust you and you have to be kind of mindful about the content that you're releasing. If maybe something slips, you don't want to be putting a player in a a bad position. Now this is kind of a double-edged sword because if you're just releasing content that is so curated and kind of vanilla, maybe who's going to want to listen and, and watch the content that, that becomes a challenge in itself. So, I think uh, I think you need to build that trust with the players. You're going to start to see them seeing the value in the content that we're producing, but that will be developed over time. And I think, you know, I spoke with Logan Schuss on the, the podcast that myself and Colton Clark are doing called Stripped, and I asked him about this, and he said, you're going to see a lot more players who are coming up through the ranks that really do buy into this media stuff. And they're going to be wanting to interact with the cameras and sitting in front of it and actually looking for it as opposed to being scared of it or not having time for it, which is something that we definitely saw with NLL Productions in its first year of operations a couple of years ago when I hopped on board with the league. It was a bit of a challenge to track players down and get them to speak and, and to be honest. And that made the content suffer a little bit too. So it all is a team project from players to coaches to general managers to uh, reporters there has to be a trust and a bond but we have to understand that you know we're all working towards the same goal and that's increasing viewership and putting butts in seats and you know making this uh, a gig where players can make full-time dollars and they're not having to do anything else we all want to see this game grow and get to that level and be taken seriously um, as a professional sport and you know maybe be considered in something like the top five you hear about the top four all the time but on the same level as NHL, NFL, NBA, and uh, MLB. Speaking of bonds, how is your bond with the National Cross League itself? I know you and Joel Feld go uh, quite a ways back with your work with NLL Productions and then with the commissioner. How has that bond with the NLL and the Lax Flash grown? Well, last year I started the Lacrosse Flash and just produced the content on my own after having been kind of let go by the league. Uh, we weren't able to get visas to fill people in, myself and Ashley Docking, and uh, that was kind of a shock, and we were a little bit blindsided by that, to be honest. Um, and I knew after taking a couple months off and not doing anything with lacrosse that I was a part of the game. Um, I felt that I had a a responsibility and a bond to the game of box across. And um, I really do love it. And I missed it a lot. And, you know, whether someone was going to bring me on full time and, and make me produce the content or not, I was going to do it. And, uh, and that's what I want to talk about my responsibility. That's kind of what I mean is I know I have the ability to produce great content. I think um, what I noticed is some of the fans, you know, they still expect stuff from me on that level. And, uh, and I wanted to keep pumping stuff out. So, 
I did, and uh, you know, Joel was nice enough to give me a call early last year and say that he wanted me um, to to come back in, in some capacity and maybe work uh, on a freelance level with uh, the league. So that's how the NLL Flash got started, and, and I was able to bring different analysts on and talk to them weekly. Um, this year, we're still in talks and, and kind of deciding what direction we want to go with that. Uh, I've given a, a proposal with two different concepts forward to the league, and I'm just waiting to see back what they've got in the budget um, and what we can kind of progress with. But uh, I will say that it would be a bit of a shame to see the project stopped after just one year of production. Um, I would like to see it kind of grow and, and see where we could go um, from you know where we started last year the content you guys are putting out with with the stable of guys that you have is fantastic and, and you guys continue to put out um sharp graphics hard-hitting analysis but real good content you you mentioned the strip podcast what can we expect from that yeah stripped is obviously we're, we're never going to be able to do something like spit and shakelets but that's a void that exists in lacrosse world you just don't have those guys coming in and uh, speaking on that kind of personal level there there are a lot of you know phone interviews and and ironic because we're having one right now but we want to get guys in as much as possible to actually sit down and be in person with us and, and have those personal personal chats and mm-hmm. um you know this is not knock uh the lacrosse podcast or, or any podcast that exists where guys are calling in um the, the persistence that has been shown by guys like yourself and uh, uh, Jake Elliott and Evan Scheminauer with lacrosse uh, classified has been incredible. And um, it's something that I hope to learn from, you know, to be, to be putting out a podcast every week. That's huge, but we do want to get guys sitting down, maybe having a beer with us. Maybe we order them food, their favorite dish. And we talk about life and lacrosse. It's not just the X's and O's or the injury troubles that guys have uh, been facing. We want to find out, Kind of what makes them tick, what makes them get out of bed, what got them in the lacrosse, what they want to do outside, maybe if they have any other goals or aspirations, or what they want to see happen with the league and get an honest take um, from these players. So we're just getting started with that. It, uh, it will include video as well as the audio portion, the MP3 slash wave file, whatever that will be available on things like Spotify so people can listen in the car. But I want to break these clips down into little uh, easily digestible clips, uh, video clips too, that can be shown on social media. So people can be scrolling through and say, hey, like here's Logan Shuss with the boys. Here's a funny story that he told. And they can either listen to the whole podcast or just listen to that clip and kind of still take value away from that. I'm not going to take offense to your comments about phone interviews because I completely understand. <laughs> um, it is It is different from doing an interview over the phone to sitting down face to face somebody because we can talk all we want across the phone and it comes off very monochromatic at times. But when yeah. there's a camera, when you're able to watch it, when you're sitting down, able to read a guest's reaction from a question and build off their body language and facial expressions, that builds so much more into the conversation that you're having. It makes right. it that much more dynamic, more engaging for the fans. So I know I'm looking forward to, to the Logan interview. I think we might have something planned down the road for, for us hopping on together. But what else can we expect from the lacrosse flash? What is in the pipeline? Yeah, Ted, Teddy, just to go back to that a little bit, um, I, I had a point there with, you know, bringing you on board with Relax. 
And that is something that we really wanted to do with that project. But when we got down to Colorado, I wanted to make sure that we had you as a guest on that segment. And I think it really worked well. I mean, we had the story at the beginning and who could forget the the famous uh, nachos story where Ashley ate all the nachos to herself. Uh, shout out Ashley. Uh, we didn't want any anyways, but yeah, we got stories like that. And those become little things and little devices that you can use in the future. You can go back to that and, and draw off it and maybe put that on a t-shirt or maybe have that as a conversation on air, or maybe it becomes something bigger and greater. And, you know, just when it comes down to communication, that doesn't necessarily happen over the phone. These things come about more when you are face to face like that. And that's something that we saw and that adds to the personality of the game. So it all goes back to, to the lacrosse flash, you know, you'll see it in in the bios of what I've got on Instagram and Twitter showcasing the personality of the game. And I think a lot of it has to be done face to face and we have to try something different. And, uh, and that goes back to strip, but uh, to talk about what we've got planned, um, I, I do want to say, you know, awesome work to all those who have been involved with the lacrosse flash. Colleen Grimes just got involved and uh, she's been able to put out some wicked graphics and just kind of promote the lacrosse flash store. Um, and we had some great ideas with t-shirts, running some problems with that, but, uh, we're going to kind of iron them out and maybe, you know, get, in, get involved with the PLPA and see what we can do, um, to make these players look like rock stars, get their faces on shirts and, and kind of sell merch. And maybe we're, you know, pushing some of the, the profit and the, the earnings back and, and giving it to them. But, um, I will say with, with the merch that is being sold, it's only going to fuel production costs right? No one's kind of making money off this and putting it in their pocket and going to go down to Vegas on February 1st and watch some lacrosse. It's going towards actual uh, per production costs and making sure nothing's necessarily out of pocket there. So um, that, that's been something that's been great. Uh, Adam Levy's been writing for the site and he is a, a phenomenal, I, I can't even say up and coming lacrosse writer anymore because I think he's one of the best in the game and he's really passionate when it comes to this. He's a big part of the team now. Had a meeting with him the other day, just kind of working on some stuff. And, um, you know, it's going to require registering this as a business and starting to take it more like a business and taking it seriously. And then Austin Owens has done a, a phenomenal job of keeping the, the ship afloat in the, the kind of off season when I wasn't able to do as much. He was a big reason why this thing kept going. And we started, uh, we continued to climb in terms of followers. He just kept pumping out those great graphics and had that great coverage. And um, he writes in a certain tone on social that I think really connects with people. He's just got the right idea when it comes to that stuff, as is Pac Gregoire, who's been a big help too. And you're going to see Greggy's gamers return. But um, for as much as I can do, I'm going to be looking after the video content and just trying to, you know, keep it coming up, keep it consistent. Uh, as long as there's a hot topic to talk about, I want to discuss it. I'm repurposing stuff to make it look good on social because I don't think that people are sitting there digesting five minute long videos anymore. We want stuff that's quick, that's to the point, that gives people a platform and that tackles the hot topics across the national lacrosse league. So um, I'm, you know, I'm proud to say that I'm going to be looking after that. And I actually have the production studio living in my place now. So I have no excuse not to roll out of bed and produce lacrosse content. And uh, I'm, I'm pretty pumped about that. A couple of times you've mentioned um, the spit and chickens podcast. Obviously everybody knows that that is a sports guy, knows biz nasty, knows 
Ryan Whitney knows what they do over on Barstool and Spin Chicklets, but you got to go one-on-one with the man. How was that interaction, and what were your overall thoughts on the Warriors' Biz Nasty promotion? I have to start off by talking about um, the, the execution of the kind of promotion or campaign. It was very impressive to see what the Vancouver Warriors did with that, and I had at my radio station that I work on uh, full-time, I had Dave Sheldon be uh, team operations manager in to discuss it and how he broke things down and the way that they looked at things and the way that they analyzed the amount of followers that Biz Nasty has around the greater Vancouver area. Like it, it came down to an actual campaign. There was a lot that went into it and they executed it very well. The production team with the Vancouver Warriors did a terrific job um, putting together the videos, you know, with Biz. They had a really quick turnaround. It was I'm pretty sure the most viewed video to do with the NLL in in history, um, or at least recent history, and it was shot and, and produced extremely professionally, and it got a lot more eyes on the sport of lacrosse, had a lot of people talking about the NLL. We just got more attention, more impressions, more follows, more likes because of it. And, uh, and, you know, I have to take my hat off to the Vancouver Warriors organization, which I'm proud to be working with right now as well. So this isn't biased or anything, but uh, I am proud of, of what they were able to do. And I think that a lot of teams, you know, you can't recreate a campaign like this, but maybe be taking notes and trying to be looking at innovative ways to promote the sport and the league uh, as a whole as well. But uh, this and that couldn't have been a better fit for the campaign as well. I think uh, he's hilarious. He's huge and just growing, and he's a guy that gets business right now, but uh, a great guy. Too. You know, the cameras aren't rolling, and, and he is the salt of the earth, um, making time for every single person that comes up to him. He's always got time for a picture with with the fans. Um, you know, he, he was that fourth-line guy, and a guy who was getting scratched a lot of the time, and I think maybe that's kind of uh, humbling, but you know, what a guy, I don't have enough good things to say about him and uh, what he's been able to do uh, for his brand and for the NLL too has been awesome. And I'm, I'm uh, happy to be having the opportunity to work with him in the future here. He's going to be at our, uh, one of our games in, in January as well. So yeah, it's, it's been really cool to, to have a guy like that uh, involved. And I hope this inspires some other teams across the NLL for campaigns similar to this one. I heard everyone's going to get laid at that night. There's no doubt about that. <laughs> it's going to be a good one. Uh, uh, buddy, uh, yeah, where can people find your stuff and where can they find the lacrosse watch? Yeah, of course. Uh, if you want to find me across all social media channels, it's at Tyson LW uh, covering, you know, the NLL, Vancouver Warriors and beyond. You can also find uh, our social channels for the lacrosse flash at lacrosse flash. Um, we'd be happy to, you know, acquire some new followers and get you interacting with us and take ideas. I mean, if there are any fans out there, listeners or the public wants to share ideas and stuff that they want to see, we are totally open to suggestions at all times. And, uh, you know, just giving the people what they want, really. I think that's that's what's important. But, um, you know, one more time, just a, a big thank you to the, the team that supports the Lacrosse Flash and yourself, Teddy, you've always been a big supporter. and. Um, you know, definitely want to be moving forward together because as a team, I think there's a lot more that we can accomplish.
Don't forget to check out the lacrosse flash at lacrosseflash.com on socials, Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, all that good stuff. The group that Tyson is working with, myself included, are continually trying to push the envelope, find a better way to bring you the stories. And it can start with a podcast, can start with the strip podcast that I can't wait to see the first episode with Logan Shuss. I'm sure they have some other ones down the pipeline. But just from graphics to web design, interviews, the lacrosse flash is trying to raise the bar. And Tyson Geik is a tireless worker and he goes to his morning shift at the radio station, does some lacrosse flash edits, and then has to go right to working with the Canucks as their in-house mic guy, which he's also doing a phenomenal job at. But the guy just knows no stop button. And I think it's a perfect fit for the lacrosse world. And I think he continues to do an incredible job telling the stories, painting the pictures, and opening doors inside the lives of National Lacrosse League players. That'll about do it here on the Lacrosse Flash. Thanks to Josh Byrne and to Tyson Geik for stopping by and giving us some time. But of course, as always, thanks to you, the loyal listener, for putting your earbuds in and enjoying a little bit of lax chat. Three games on the National Lacrosse League schedule this weekend. Week two, all three games are on Saturday. The debut of the Halifax Thunderbirds. Will they get 10 plus thousand inside the arena? Will they have a loyal returning crowd that comes back after their preseason intra-squad scrimmage? Will they have a better debut than the Rochester Nighthawks. I think they will. How will New York fare in their first game? Will they fare better than the Rochester Nighthawks? I think they will. I still really like the way Halifax looks. I think they're going to be one of the teams to beat in that North Division. But I think Reggie Thorpe and his New York Riptide are going to be a tough team to play against. I just don't know if they have the moxie to be a true contender this year. A couple years down the road, sure, but not right out of the gate. Toronto, New England, going to be an absolutely fantastic matchup. I'm really excited to see Dan Dawson in a rock uniform and what he can do working alongside Tom Schreiber and Rob Hellyer. Fingers crossed, my boy Zach Manns gets in the lineup for the rock and gets his first National Cross League Geno. The debut of Andrew Q. The number three overall pick, he's going to have a bit of a chip on his shoulder thinking that he probably should have been the number one overall pick. So best of luck to cue ball. And then San Diego and Buffalo. I wish both teams were 100% healthy. Maybe at some point down the road, we will get this matchup again. But neither team will use that as an excuse. And I think I like the Buffalo offense as a complete wheel. And I think they have the advantage over San Diego, but I could be wrong. But give me 
Thunderbirds, Bandits, Rock. And we'll talk to you next week. Drop me a line, teddy.jenner at gmail.com or find me on Twitter at off the crossbow. Until next week, be excellent to each other. I am an outlaw.